often do this because I always forget names, but I do want to say um, a thank you to Tom. Tom, wave your hand. I, I know that Tom does not do what he does alone. Tom oversees just the, the food giveaway out there, the food distribution, and he has it running. He has it organized like it has never been before. He's got people that are coming alongside to help that we've never, you know, we've never had the kind of help and the way in which people are helping him. I, can, I guarantee you he's going, don't say that, I can use more help, <laughs> um, which he can and, uh, and I hope that you'll be a part of that. But I want to say thank you to Tom. Uh, you know, some, we need to give honor where honor is due. And what a blessing it is to have that. I want you to open to Revelation chapter 2. We are going to look at the, the, the church at Thyatira. I, um, let me just say this. I love you. My message today is going to be a really good message for building the church. It's not going to be very good for attendance. Because, again, I, I, don't, I don't think there's too many people that, that, I, that won't have their toes stepped on. That, you know, I, I can't help the fact that we're going through the scriptures and going through these letters. And, and, you know, maybe if I was smarter, I would have read through these letters a whole lot more in depth before I decided to preach through them. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> because God's got a word for us today and he has something that he's saying in the scriptures. And, and this is a, a, a difficult letter. And as I, I've been studying what God laid on my heart that I want to share with you, I've been studying through this thing and looking up the, the topic that we'll talk about today. And as I was searching out the topic, I came across this interview. I couldn't find it to play up here, but I did find the, the, uh, the transcript that I was reading in an article. And I want to share with you, the, the, I'm going to read it to you, um, because I, I think it's important for the topic that we're going to talk about. And so this was a secular interviewer, and he was doing an interview of a pastor, a Christian pastor. And the interviewer said, how many people in the world of religion take it too seriously? Is that part of the problem? And the pastor said, well, I think we should take Jesus seriously. We should take our Bible seriously. Probably shouldn't take ourselves nearly as seriously. He said, that's how I approach it. And the interviewer said this. He said, do you think you're a tolerant kind of guy? And the pastor said, well, I love people very much. And, it's, and, and the interviewer then interrupted and said, that's not, not the same thing. Well, the pastor said, well, how do you disagree sometimes with people that you love? That's a very difficult issue for everybody. But for a pastor in particular, because, and the interviewer said, because you preach tolerance. And he said, I preach that we should love our neighbors. And, and that we should accept. And he said, but tolerance, tolerance. What about tolerance in particular? And the pastor said, you keep hammering that. What do you mean by tolerance? And the interviewer said, tolerating people who may have a different lifestyle or a belief that you don't agree with. He said, we have to. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, you know, he knows you're not gonna agree with all of your neighbors, but he wants you to love them, to seek good for them, to care for them. And then the interviewer switched course. And he said this. He said, well, what do you make of the whole Kirk Cameron scandal? As it's become where he, you know, as he sat here for 15 minutes, espousing what I think he thought were perfectly normal Christian views. 
but he did it in a way that people saw as really very bigoted towards gays. What did you think of that? And the pastor said, well, to be honest with you, I haven't seen the whole thing. And the interviewer said, well, you know what he said. And he said, well, I read some of the Twitter and I read some of the blogging and stuff, but you know what? That's not always the best snapshot of a full context of a conversation. So I don't know, to be honest with you. And then the interviewer came in and said, well, okay, so what do you think? Do you think that homosexuality is a sin? And the pastor said, well, the Bible says it is on six different occasions. And the interviewer said, but what do you think? And he said this. He said, I believe all sex outside of heterosexual marriage is sin. So me as a teenager having sex before marriage, that was wrong. People looking at pornography is wrong. Single people having sex is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. There's a long list of things that the Bible says is wrong. And the interview, eight states in America, now they have legalized gay marriage. That's fine, right? And he said, well, no. I mean, it's amazing because there were anti-sodomy laws and anti-fornication laws on the books just a few generations ago. And the interviewer said, yeah, but nobody takes into account anti-fornication laws. And the pastor said, yeah, I don't want to be the one that had to go around enforcing that law. The interviewer said this, but but this is my point. So the Bible is what it is. It's It's an extraordinary book, right? And the interviewer said, which has governed people's morals and personal behavior now for, the pastor said, thousands of years. And the interviewer said this. He said, however... Like everything in life, it shouldn't be dragged kicking and screaming into each modern era. Shouldn't it be adapted like the American Constitution? Because in my view about this, it's not that I don't respect Christians or Catholics or whoever who absolutely swear by every word that's in here. It's just, I just don't believe anyone who's genuinely Christian should be spouting bigoted opinions about sections of the community for, uh, for their sexuality. And the pastor said this. He said, well, I think when it comes to the Bible, you have three options. You can take it, which means you believe everything it says. You can leave it, which means you don't believe everything that it says. Or you can change it. And the interviewer said, or adapt the wording for a modern era. And the pastor said this, which would be changing it. That's exactly what, for example, Thomas Jefferson did. He literally sat down in the White House with scissors and cut the parts out that he didn't feel should be in there. So that was this interview. And so in this interview, I'm thinking about this. It creates this question. And this is a deep question. Are we more tolerant than God? Let's just personalize this. Are you a tolerant person? I mean, that's a tough question. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're probably the ones that are getting asked that question. If you're a non-Christian, you're probably sitting there asking that question. Well, what's the answer? Are we tolerant or are we not? Are you a tolerant person? What is it that you think? I mean, are Christians tolerant people? 
Look, you, you can start thinking about this, and your mind starts just going swirling all around, and we start going, well, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, are we supposed to be or not? I mean, that's a tough question. And the answer is not an easy answer. So glad we get to look at this today. Look, there's so many of you in this place today, and your first response is, are you a tolerant person? Well, yes, I'm a tolerant person. I, I'm, I'm enlightened. I'm evolved. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm hip. I'm culturally progressive. I, I, yeah, I'm all these things. I'm amazing. I, yes, I am tolerant. And there's others of you on the other side, or maybe even sitting next to each other, going, you know what? No, I, I'm not tolerant. I love the Bible. I, don't, I, I have convictions, and I don't want to be a compromiser, and I don't want to be lukewarm. Uh, no, I am not a tolerant person. And then there's others that are sitting here going, I, I don't know. <laughs> yes? No? Yes? No. Yes. I mean, whatever way I say it, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Because it's a tough question. Yes, it is. In church, this is a massive, massive issue in our culture today. And this is a massive issue in the church today. And we have got to look at this. And some of you aren't going to like it just like those in Thyatira didn't like it. So what's the answer? G.K. Chesterton, I found this really cool website with all of these different, uh, I mean, basically words of wisdom. It's almost like a, a, a modern-day book of Proverbs. But G.K. Chesterton was one of the greatest authors of the 1900s, and he said this. He said, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. Tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. See, some people say today that Christians are intolerant. And they would say that about a Christian because they have convictions. A conviction about certain things. Doesn't mean I don't love you, I just have a conviction about that. And that conviction is based on the word of God, not my preferences. And because of that, you call me intolerant. And there are a lot of Christians today who would say, you know what? Everybody's intolerant of us. As a Christian, we can't have our point of view. We can't have our convictions. We can't. People are just completely intolerant of us. And again, because there are some convictions there. Well, I was reading, and there's a, a sociologist, his name's Peter Berger, and Peter Berger, he came up with, and, and he popularized this term, and the term is called plausible, or plausibility structure. And plausibility structure is, is in a culture where there are certain assumptions, presuppositions, presumptions that are in that culture that are so widely accepted that they're unquestioned any longer. So there are things that the culture accepts and things that are so ingrained into the culture that they're not even questioned any longer. They're just a part of that culture in the depths of, of, of that culture and, and the people of that culture. And so just as an example, the, in, in the Asian culture, the Asian culture, the thought of saving face and not experiencing shame, that, that pervades, it permeates everything. 
In that culture, it, it, every decision that's made, every identity that is chosen in, in that culture and the people of that culture, the way that the people live their life, the way that the people go about their life, the way that the people dress, the way that people act, the way that the people talk, it's all permeated by that same plausibility structure. Well, in the Western culture, in, specifically in the United States of America, we're looking at a plausibility structure of tolerance. Now, you may think in yourself right now, well, no. But you know what? It is something that we don't even think about it, yet it affects all of our decisions and all of our choices, especially as Christians. It comes in in this plausibility structure. It comes in and invades everything. And tolerance today... Tolerance is an assumed virtue. And the moment you become intolerant is the moment that problems start to arise. Look, if, if you don't hold an open or, or tolerant view, in fact, it's not even if you hold specifically just an open or tolerant view, but today, if you don't accept everything and anything that people say or people do or people want, if you don't embrace everyone and everything, then you, as that intolerant person, become a bigot, and you become hated, and, and, and you are somebody that is completely mean-spirited. Why? Because you have convictions. You've all heard those words, right? You've all been, had heard those things either said or, or if you've stood on your convictions, they've probably been said about you. I, I'm, I'm gonna get some of these same things, statements back in some emails, even this weekend. You're narrow-minded. You're discriminatory. You're prejudiced. You're, you're outdated. You're primitive. You're back there on the evolutionary chart. <laughs> Sorry, you, you amen right as I said I'm back there on the evolutionary chart. <laughs> amen you are. <laughs> but this is the problem that those people they look at us as Christians and in their mind that's who you are. And it happens without even having to be thought about. It puts us in a really tough place. So the question again, well, should I be tolerant or not? What do we do? How do we deal with this whole thing? And, and, and church, where do we find the answer to this? Yeah, I mean, we, we have to look to what God has given us. We have to look into the scriptures. And today we're going to do that. God's going to confront some of this as we look at Revelations chapter 2 in, in verses 18 through 29. And what we're going to look at, we're going to see that God is confronting some 2,000 plus years ago. He is confronting a church, 2,000 years or so. Uh, he's confronting a progressive church in Thyatira, a church that was more tolerant than God. And so we're going to look at this. And, and listen, isn't it funny, this question that we struggle with when we think this is just such a, a, a new thing, this is something that we're struggling in and, and this is a brand new thing. But look, you know where we're going to find the answer to this brand new evolved issue that we are struggling with here today? And we're going to find it in a letter that was written 2,000 years ago by Jesus through the Apostle John and given to the church. Amen. 
It's not a new problem, church. What we're struggling with, the issue that we're talking about today, it's not a new problem. It's not something that's evolved and has come to this today. No, it's not at all. And in this letter, he rebukes the church for being tolerant. Let's look at what he says in verse 18, starting in verse 18. And so he starts off, and to the angel, again, that, that's the, the heavenly spiritual leader of the church of Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God. Now again, the, the Son of God. He calls himself here the Son of God. This is the resurrected Christ who has called himself the Son of God. Jesus describing himself in this, this picture here. And he says, Son of God. It's the only time in Revelation that he uses that that description of himself. He said, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He said, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but. Here comes the but. Didn't take long, did it? No, it popped up pretty darn quick. Good job, but. Good job, but. I have this against you. That you what? Mom, what's the word? Jesus understands people. Jesus understands human nature. Jesus understands that the same thing that was conflicting them is the same things that are going to be conflicting us today. He knows that because it's human nature. It's part of the fallen nature. It's part of how he knows that we've been created and what it is that goes on. He knows. He's watching. He sees. And he says, you tolerate. What? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't want us to be tolerant? Well, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. That's because we don't like that because it's a plausibility structure that's built into our society today. And it's a virtue that we think everybody should have. And to not have that virtue of tolerance is to not be Christ-like. Well, Jesus is very clearly telling us, yes, it is. Amen, Pastor Mark. He says, you tolerate. He says, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to to what? Come on, to what? Practice what? Why are you guys so disjointed in this? Come on, you know why? He does, listen to what he did not say. He did not say, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice alternative lifestyles. He, he, he didn't say that. He called it this, sexual immorality. But when... You know, again, this letter gets written, and when, when Satan and, and, you know, our worldly market system gets a hold of this, they turned sexual immorality into alternative lifestyle, because alternative lifestyle sounds so much more palatable. I mean, it sounds like you're at a, you know, a buffet trying to pick whether you're going to have chicken or steak or shrimp or, it, there's so many 
different places and choices. I can have all these alternative choices to make. But church, when you call it sexual immorality, it's loaded with a whole lot more implications, isn't it? Yeah, it, it takes this thing called alternative lifestyle and it turns it, it takes it away from all these menu options and menu choices and it turns it into this. You got a choice. Obey or disobey? It's your choice. Don't for a second think that God is pleased with our disobedience. And he says... He says, so to servants, he teach, she seduces my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols, which again means to include the practices of false religions. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Come on, how many in the church are in the same boat? Oh, we know it's wrong, but I refuse to repent. Verse 22, well, listen. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. Oh, it's a hospital bed. It's a sick bed. You know what? She's been messing around on a regular bed, and she's going to end up on a sick bed. This is what God is telling us. Behold, I will throw her onto a... Aren't you guys glad you came today? (laughs) Look, I'm just, for the most part, just reading Scripture. Some of you are already mad at me. (laughs) Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery... Listen, here, again, it's not called alternative lifestyle. It's not called being diverse or being open. It's called adultery. Okay, it's adultery. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw you into a great tribulation. Let me just remind you, this isn't an Old Testament letter. This is a New Testament letter from the resurrected Christ to the born-again, spirit-filled church. I will throw you into deep tri- a great tribulation, which again, that word in the Greek means... Trouble involving great suffering. Not about you, but I don't want that. Amen. I, I don't. And he says he's going to do that. And, and he doesn't say he might. He says he will. Unless they repent of their works. And I, verse 23, and I will strike her children. Those spiritual followers, those who give in. He says I will strike them to her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. This is kind of, you know what? I, I get the idea that this isn't like tickle time Jesus. This isn't like hugs and kisses Jesus. He didn't show up on a rainbow unicorn. He wasn't wearing a dress. He showed up 
empowered. Listen, you know who this is here? This is resurrected from the dead, Jesus. This is ruling and reigning, Jesus. This is living in heaven at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. This is the judgment who will judge the living and the dead, Jesus. This isn't a little Jesus. This isn't... Jesus. This isn't peasant Jesus. This is King Jesus. This is big Jesus talking this way. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, talking about the faithful, he says, who do not hold, listen to what he says, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned that what, that some, what, what some call the deep things of Satan. You know what he's just talking about up here? He's just describing, Jesus says, those things that you're participating in, those things that you're partaking in, that sexual immorality and the things that you're, those are the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burdens. Only hold fast what you, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken to pieces, even as my father, uh, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He will have an he who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, look, I, I just read you that scripture, and my question is this: Jesus' question is this: Are you listening? Are you listening? The Spirit of God is speaking to the church through the Scriptures. And He wants to know, do you, do we have an ear to hear? Or have you already shut me out because you don't like the things that, I'm, that, that the Scripture says, the things I'm saying? I can guarantee you this pretty much can't say 100%. But for those who really are struggling with what I just said, it's probably because you're struggling with what he's talking about. It's prevalent in the church even. So we're going to go over the next few weeks. I don't know how long this is going to take to finish breaking this down, but I'm going to take whatever time it takes because we need this. This is a tough question and we need to give it the ample time that is required to see, okay, I need to understand some of these things. How can I keep this in my heart? How can I protect myself from the spirit of Jezebel that's at work in the church today? And we begin by talking about Christ. We'll talk about the correction or the, the, the condemnation or accommodation that he brings to the church. He commends the church for some wonderful things and then he brings this correction to the church. And so we start with, listen, and, and this is one of the big problems that we have, even, even as a people that come to church, living in the world, is we don't always start with Jesus. And we need to start with Jesus. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? We have to start with him in everything. Because if we start with other things and then try to introduce Jesus in, we're going to get confused. If you start talking about politics, or you start talking about morality, or you start talking about culture, or, or lifestyles, or orientations, and you start looking into all of those things, and then you go to see what Jesus says, you're going to end up confused. 
But you start with Jesus. You start with who Jesus is. You start with the reality of what Jesus does and what Jesus says. And you start with the reality of who he is. And then you begin to introduce these things in the light of Jesus and say, what does Jesus say about this? turns things around. Start with Jesus. And how do these things connect to him? What's he say about that? Here, church, listen, he's called the son of God. He calls himself the son of God. That is a big title. This is one that, that, that our Muslim friends, our Mormon friends, sometimes they trip over this. That statement, son of God, thinking that, well, he was born as just now the Son of God, when it's not really the meaning of what he's talking about. Son of God is not just a, a term of endearment, it's a term of deity. It is something that comes out of the Old Testament about the Son of God who was there before the beginnings of time, that he was there as God, that he is eternal, that he is God of all, and he always has been, he is today, and he always will be. He never ceases to exist, he always did and always will. He is Jesus, the Christ. He is God. He is equal to God the Father. He is Jesus the Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the one who rules and reigns over all people, over all nations, over all lifestyles, over all orientations, over all cultures, over all preferences, over it all. He is Jesus Christ, the resurrected King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He is God Almighty. Which means today, he is not the Jesus that wandered the streets of Galilee. He's big Jesus. He's the resurrected Jesus. This Jesus that's talking in this letter, he's the after he died on the cross Jesus. He's after he went into the grave Jesus. He's after he rose from the dead Jesus. After he ascended to the Father Jesus. He's the big Jesus, the King of all kings. He is God Almighty. And he's speaking to you and I out of his authority. And that means this, the church belongs to Jesus. And if you are truly a part of the church, a member of the church, not just, I'm not talking about new life, I'm talking about born again, then you belong to Jesus. He bought you with a price, his own life. He laid that down so that you could come, be a part of the church, and now that we belong to Jesus. And that means this, and this may grind some people. That means that Jesus then, if all this being true in Jesus, the whole church belongs to him, then Jesus has the right to say to you, he has the right to say to me, he has the right to say to us, whether he's talking individually or whether he's talking collectively, he has the right to say whether we're being obedient or disobedient. Whether what we believe is truth or what we believe is heresy. He has the right to tell us those things. And church, whether we like it or don't like it, we will all stand and give an account to him one day. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So we will all stand before him and give an account to him because the church belongs to him. It's Jesus' church. The church in Thyatira, Jesus' church. 
the church in Tooele, Utah? Jesus' church. It's his church. This doesn't belong to you. Well, he must not know how much I tithe. Listen, the church doesn't belong to me. God can bring a new pastor in at any moment. <laughs> I said that and I thought, oh, I better not hear a praise God. <laughs> the church doesn't belong to us. So, what that means is that it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how this all makes you feel. It doesn't. You know what? It doesn't matter. If, you know what? It doesn't matter if y'all get together and decide, you know what? We voted that we don't like that. It doesn't matter what you vote. It matters what he says. That's it. It matters what he says. He is his word. His word is him. And what he says is all that matters. I don't have to like it. I have to believe it. He never asked me whether I liked it or not. And so, you know, in the church, he gives these things. And he, he does this. He gives these commendations and these corrections. And the Jesus that gives the correction is the Jesus here who's described with bronze feet. Now, they would have understood that Thyatira, it was a, a, a little place, but they had all these guilds and all these different uh, uh, places, you know, uh, occupations in there where these guilds would make different things. A lot of them were for idol making, but the bronze makers, a lot of them were uh, men who would make weapons of war. So they understood what bronze was used for. And those, those people in Thyatira, when he said he had bronze feet, they would have understand, whoa, that Jesus wasn't coming back as a pauper, that Jesus showed himself and revealed himself as a God of war, that he came to show that he's the only sure foundation, that he's the only one that's immovable, he's the one that's unshakable, that he's the only one that's victorious, and nobody will overcome him. He shows up with eyes of fire, showing he sees everything. Come on, he sees everything. He sees everyone. Come on, he sees. He sees right now. He sees that some of you are following along and some of you are playing games to distract yourself. He sees some of you and he sees you in the spiritual realm going, la, 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 la. Because I don't want to hear this. He sees it all. And you know what, Jesus, this is what, you know, we have to understand. This is hard for our minds to wrap around. But Jesus, Jesus does not have a perspective. Okay, Jesus does not have an ideology. Jesus does not have his own interpretation Listen, Jesus doesn't have an opinion. Jesus is truth. Jesus, he, he sees the truth. Jesus knows the truth. 
Jesus says only what is truth because he is only truth and that's all that can come out of him. And if Jesus didn't say anything at all that ever wasn't truth, then he can't be God as well. He can't be Savior as well. So this is Jesus, and then he brings this commendation to them. He says this. He says uh, that, the, the, out of that commendation then, he'll bring some correction, but the commendation is this. Verse 19, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Praise God, man. What an incredible thing to say. I mean, you know, the, this encouragement is really cool. You guys are loving, you're serving, you're faithful, and you're doing it better and better and better each and every day. You guys are helping people, and you're doing better at it each and every day. You know what they were doing was they were imitating Jesus when Jesus was here on earth. When Jesus came onto this earth, what did he do? He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He cast out demons from the possessed. He, he began to create friendships with people that didn't have friendships with religious leaders before. He made friendships with women. He made friendships with children. He made friendships with a tax collector. He made friendships with the down, with the out. He made friendships with those who were rejected, those who had been outcasts. He made friends with the lepers. And part of our Christian life is living, and, and it has to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, but living the lifestyle of Jesus. And these people were doing that, meaning we need to give. We need to give to those in need. We need to give to those that are hurting. We need to reach out and care. We need to reach out and to help by serving those who are less fortunate. We need to walk by faith because that's what Jesus did. Jesus cared. Jesus loved, Jesus submitted, Jesus laid down, Jesus endured. He suffered for you and for me. And Jesus is saying, good job, church. Good job, keep going, don't give up, don't grow weary, don't stop. You keep going, you keep giving. Don't be takers, you guys keep being givers and keep doing it in increasing measure. And he blessed them for that. My question, you know, and again, I, this is just a question that out of all that we have to ask. How's it going for you? How's it going for us? You know, are, are we filled with generosity and love and caring and giving? Are we filled with service that goes beyond just our family, just beyond our church? A service that would care about the needs of a community around us. No, I mean, I think we do pretty good. But what I think doesn't matter. And then he brings the correction. This is long, it's extensive, and it's painful. This is the longest letter to the smallest church. And it's tough. What he does is he commends their actions, but he brings correction. He rebukes their beliefs, their doctrine. The opposite of what he did in Ephesus. In Ephesus, he told them, hey, you know what? You guys are confronting false teachers. He, he, he was like, you guys are right on doctrine, but you guys, your actions are growing cold. You stopped loving. And this is what he says in verse 20 in, in 
you know, again, this is where we get to the butt. And I know that nobody likes to go beyond the butt. We all want to stay on this side of the butt. We all want to stay on this side of it, and we want to talk about what we're doing. We want to talk about what's going on. We want to talk about how good we're doing. We want to talk about all of that. And a lot of us as Christians, we don't want to get to the butt part. We just want the accommodation part. I just want to hear the good things. Come on. Aren't you a good God? You know, you're a good God, so only tell me the good things. And so we don't want to get to the other part. Look at what we're doing. We're serving. I'm serving. We're giving. I'm giving. I'm helping. We're helping. We are so good. Look at all we're doing. Aren't we great? And Jesus would say, you know what? That's great. But. But what about your doctrine? What about your theology? What about your beliefs? Do those things matter? Do they matter to you? Or do they go out the window when they come against your pleasure, your wants, your feelings, your personal desires? Well, listen, Jesus is telling us it's not just about how you behave. It is about what you believe. Because what you believe will affect how you behave. Ultimately, it will take over. And he says, I have this against you. You tolerate. Church, this is an issue. Not just a new issue, it's an ongoing issue. It always has been, always will be. And the reason is because Satan and the demons, they hate Jesus. They hate the church. They hate God's word. They hate the scriptures. And therefore, there's always going to be a place where they want to come in and... and Oppose those things. Oppose Jesus. Did, just like in the very beginning, when, when the serpent said to Eve, did God really say? We still struggle with the same question from the same serpent. Did God really say? Because Satan and the demons will continually oppose the word of God and therefore always create conflict. There will always be this place of conflict in the church. And the reason that there will be conflict is because the church will always be continually tempted to compromise. Amen. That was good, Pastor Mark. Hey, look, this whole thing is so funny. Doesn't it seem like what we're talking about is this progressive issue today? I mean, this progressive issue in this culture because now the culture has become enlightened to this whole thing. But it's not really an enlightened new cultural issue. It's a church, it's an issue that the church has been talking about for 2,000 plus years. It's not new. How do we retain biblical conviction? How do we stand in the midst of a world that, that does not believe in Jesus, that does not receive the word of God, that does not open their hearts or believe in the Bible, how do we continue to hold on to our biblical convictions and our kingdom pursuit? How do, how do we do all that? Said, but this I have against you. You tolerate. And we're going to talk over the next few weeks about what that means. To tolerate. He says, you tolerate, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She was a spiritual leader, obviously a spiritual leader in their church who God didn't appoint. She had appointed herself. 
We have a lot of people today in, in the church as a whole that have self-promoted or self-promoted themselves as a spiritual leader and put the name before them, you know, prophet or apostle, and are making all sorts of predictions that just aren't even close. All sorts of, you know, new things that the, that, you know, new prophets and new things that are coming up and coming out. Spiritual leaders that God did not appoint. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice, what? Not alternative lifestyle. It's sexual immorality and to eat the food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So what we have right here is the doctrinal conviction, the correction that he brings. And that is this. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, again, we're not talking specifically, this just happens to be the woman Jezebel. We're not talking about women, men, this is not it. Jezebel, I mean, most, all, every commentator that I read, nobody believed that was her name because nobody in those days would have named their child Jezebel. Jezebel is a... Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a type of person. It's a description like when we say somebody's a Judas or somebody's a Benedict Arnold. It's a type of person. The actual woman Jezebel lived hundreds of years earlier in the days of the prophet Elijah. And she was in that day a powerful, powerful woman. She was a powerful woman politically. She was a powerful woman spiritually. She was a powerful woman financially. And this powerful woman that uh, the, the, the king married to the king she came and began to say, you know what? I don't like what these God-given people, the, those that God raised up, I don't like what they're saying. They're not talking good about me. They're not talking well about me. They're not saying things that I like. They're not saying things that I agree with. I don't like those guys. And so she said, kill them. Hey, there's a lot of people Look, I'll probably even get, by the end of the day, some emails from some people not liking the things that we talked about today because, again, it's not popular. I don't like that. People have never, people have always not liked what's been spoken by God. In fact, you realize that not only the prophets were killed by Jezebel, but they killed Jesus because of what he said. So the prophets were killed, and she says, I have this new alternative spirituality. I have this new form of spirituality. I have a new religion, and I'm going to start this offshoot, and there's going to be some biblical faith and some biblical values, but we're going to be contemporary. We're going to be upbeat. We're going to create this, this cult that has you know, some biblical faithfulness, but also things that are more palatable, things that are more evolved, things that are good. But you have this new, this new, this new. There's always something new. This new ideology, this new spirituality, and it's going to be more tolerant. It's going to be more diverse, not, not as historical and, and biblical and, and old-fashioned as that dusty old book. And so in the days of Elijah, Jezebel, in the days of Thyatira, Jezebel, in the days today, Jezebel, was continually calling the people to worship the false god, Baal. And he was at work then, 
He was at work in Thyatira, and he's at work today using the spirit of Jezebel to call people to worship Baal. Church, listen, what we're talking about today, it's demonic idolatry. It was then, it was in Thyatira, and it is in Tooele today. It's idolatry. And this woman, she's powerful. Let me also say this. Not everyone who's powerful is led by God. Not every church that's big, not every church that's full, not every church that's rich, not every church that's popular, not every church that's on TV, not every church that has a lot of YouTube followers, not a lot of churches that are influential, not a lot of churches that are successful are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Church, we have to be so careful. You can't just look at somebody or something and say, wow, look how rich, look how powerful, look how successful that. They must be blessed by God. No, for many, like the, uh, the, the, we see here, Satan is blessing them. Yeah. Satan and the demons will empower people to be able to look good in such a way that people will look at them and say, boy, hasn't God blessed them? Yeah. It's what the enemy will set out to try to do. And that's the case here with Jezebel. And so she starts her own religion, starts her own you know, Bible teaching, all these different ways in which they're going to go about things. And she starts all this stuff up. And there's kind of a biblical faith. There's a little bit of biblical faith in there. And it's kind of good that way, but that's, that's kind of not. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It sounds kind of good. I mean, it sounds a little like the stuff that I've heard before. It sounds kind of relevant. But then again, she adds in these places of Baal worship. And she begins to integrate biblical faith with Baal faith and starts to bring these two things together. In church, there's a name for that. It's called syncretism. It's a biblical belief plus other religious ideologies and perspectives. Syncretism is a compromised faith, church. When we start adding into or adding to the word of God, it becomes a synchronized faith. Faith. It becomes compromised. It becomes hyphenated. It becomes something that's no longer pure. It becomes diluted, which means it is compromised of the power that God intended that word to have. So what, what Jezebel wants to do is the spirit of Jezebel wants to make it and we can have the both where we don't have to make a choice. We can join them together and we can have our biblical faith and we can also have the fun that comes with Baal worship. When Jesus, he does not say and both. Jesus says either or. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's not a both. You don't get to have it both ways. We have it his way. He says he is the way, not a way. He is the way. But, listen, when you start talking about and adding into the word of God places where people feel comfortable adding things that would make, get, bring their own sexual pleasures and things of that sort, all of a sudden that becomes pretty popular. That sounds good. I like that. That has a good ring to it. And it becomes more and more widely accepted and she becomes more and more powerful, more and more popular. And here, her belief system becomes more and more accepted. And it begins to invade the church. And this belief system begins to dilute the truth. 
and it compromises, it infects the gospel message. And listen, Jesus sees. He sees it all. He knows. He knows what you're doing. He knows where there's compromise. He knows. Jesus sees. And he sees there in this church, there was a woman in that church in Thyatira, all these years later, and we don't know if she was an official when she started. I don't know where she got her leadership, but somewhere or another, she became very influential. She became very powerful, and she became divisive. And Jesus rebuked that. She was telling them, don't listen to those teachers. Don't listen to that old school, that backwards teaching. That's not evolved teaching. That's not something for today. That was maybe way back then, but it's not for today. Those people, they're just not as evolved. They're not as enlightened. They're not as advanced as we are. And there's those that are infected in that place that begin to say, you know, we have new insights today. We have a new way. We have new knowledge. We have new scholars. We have new interpretations. We have new prophets. We have new prophecies. We have new books. We have new perspectives. We have new experiences. Because we've spiritually evolved beyond some of those primitive beliefs. And therefore, she becomes very, very powerful. Worship team, come back up, would you please? I'm gonna, I want to just close with this. Today, the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well in the church. That, that, that spirit is alive and well. And it is a seducing spirit, a seducing people to tolerate and accept what God has forbidden. People are finding it okay to accept in our lives to go do some of the things in our lives that God said, no, don't do that. To be partakers because we've made an excuse or we saw somebody else or we saw this. And so we're going to go ahead and go do those things even though God has said, no, don't do those things. And we find that it's okay to do that because it's tolerated. And we begin to tolerate. We've accepted things that God has forbidden. Listen, the spirit of Jezebel is still at work tempting Christians to tolerate sexual sin. The spirit of Jezebel is calling sheer church members to enter into all sorts of sexual immorality and feel justified and okay sitting in church while they're doing it. Spirit of Jezebel is tempting Christians, those in the church, to be acceptant of false doctrines, to accept all sorts of alternative lifestyles and false religions. And then making us feel like, hey, you know what? It's okay to enter into those lifestyles yourself. It's okay. Because it's tolerated. Spirit of Jezebel is tempting Christians today to explore and to, to accept all kinds of spiritualities and false religions. 
And so many in the church today reject my message, like what we're talking about here from the Word of God, because we have filtered all the things we're talking about. We feel okay with it all because we filtered it through the filter of cultural relevance or tolerance. And because we tolerate, we think that it's acceptable. And it's become a plausibility structure. And we accept it. Let me just say this. Jesus rebukes that. Resurrected Jesus rebukes that kind of belief, that kind of theology, that kind of doctrine, that kind of infection. He rebukes that. And he calls us to do this. To repent. Repent. I know a word we hate. Which I don't understand why. Aside from Jesus Christ, repentance is the greatest gift God gave the church. And he's opened the door up. Listen, when is the time to repent? Now. Because you are not promised tomorrow. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read this one more time here and then we'll close. Verses 21 through 23. It says, I gave her time to repent. When God gives us a time, there's also an end to that time. That's why he gives a time. And she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. That means sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. Those who join with her in that kind of theology, in that kind of doctrine, in those kinds of beliefs. I will throw into great tribulation. That's not good. Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Please remember, this is resurrected from the dead, ascended to heaven, Jesus, talking to the New Testament church. This, is, this doesn't come from the Old Testament. It comes from the last letter in the whole Bible. The time to repent is now. Not when you walk out those doors. Not when you go to your car. Not when you go home and decide to think about it. Not when you sit down in front of your computer and you're tempted with all of that. No, this is the time, this is the hour to come to repentance. This is the time because, listen, when that time is over, it is what we call too late. When is that time? I don't know. So I'm going to ask this question. And I know that from one side to the other, from the front to the back, there are many, if not most, that struggle in these areas. Probably most that would need to get up and respond to an altar call at this point to repentance. The question isn't, are there those in need? The question is, will you hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you? It's not, do we need to respond? The question is, will we respond? Look. Are you, and I'm going to be bold with this, are you struggling with sexual immorality? Are you bound up in pornography and thinking it's okay because it doesn't hurt anybody? 
you're feeding in, if you're, you're doing that, I mean, again, it does, it, I understand, but man, it feeds into the whole industry. Are you struggling in that area? I understand this is not a statement of condemnation. This isn't a place where it's like, oh, come to the altar so God can spank you. This is a come to the altar. My hand is outstretched. Come to me because I know that what you're doing has made you weary and heavy laden. And you're really struggling under the weight of this. And you don't even know how much it's costing you. You don't even know the kind of spiritual death that it's bringing into your life. You don't even know the effect it's having on your children and your children's children. But pride makes us sit back and say, oh, no, no, no. If I get up, everyone will think I'm a pervert. You know what everybody would think? That is one of the bravest men or women I've ever known, I'd ever seen. Look, are you living together? Having sex outside of marriage? It's called fornication. That's what the Bible calls it. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be doing that. Are you having sex outside of marriage? Shouldn't be doing that. God says don't do that. But we do those things And then we come to church and we feel okay because we feel like the church tolerates it. I want you to know it shouldn't be tolerated. It's sin. And I'm not saying that because I want to beat you up. I'm saying that because I love you and I don't want these consequences for you. I care enough to offend you. I care enough to get in your face about it, to tell you it's wrong because that's the only way that you'll ever come to the place where, you know what, I need to repent. I need to quit this. Are you having sex outside of marriage? Are you, are you having same-sex relationships? Are you involved in sexual immorality of any kind? Jesus says this. Repent. Repent. The time is now. Turn back to Jesus. That's what that means. Turn away from the false doctrines. Turn away from the false influences of the spirit of Baal, the spirit of Jezebel, and come back to Jesus. He's the answer. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. And he's got power, resurrection power, that he desires to pour into your life and set you free from the bondage that holds you. back to Jesus. Listen, I don't know. I felt yesterday when I was getting ready and praying, I felt to do this. The altar is open. If you need to repent tonight, right now, the altar is open. You get up and you find yourself a place at the altar and you get on your knees and you lay it all down there. And you lay it there and you get back up and you don't pick it back up. You leave it here. You leave it at the altar. So as we sing, the altar's open. 
and it's for you. Listen, God is not trying to do anything to anybody. Desire is to do something for you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of those that are in need today, those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those, Lord God, that are lifting up others around them, those that are praying for family members. I pray today, Lord, that your spirit would move in their hearts, that you, God, would do what only you can. But, Lord, begin in me. Begin in each one of us as individuals. God, let us be set free. Let us be, Father, set free. Let us, Lord God, be freed. Oh, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, you bring change. You're the one and the only one that's able. So today, Lord God, do what only you can. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, this altar is open. If you need the altar, you find a place at it. Mama got sick right before service, of course. 
And, uh, and so they're here right now. And I, I just would ask that for us, as we would, to continue to pray and to keep them lifted up. I want to share a scripture here with you. Um, a couple of scriptures real quick. And as we pray for the baby, and uh, again, I ask that you would do that as well. Family, come on up. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Jeremiah says, I knew you before I formed you in my mother's womb. Before you were born, I was set you apart. And then in Psalm 20, uh, 32 and verse 8, the Bible says, and this is a command to the family. Realize that what we do, we don't do baby dedications necessarily. We do a baby blessing, so to speak, and we dedicate that baby unto the service of the Lord. And so this is really for all of you. And we're going to commit ourselves as family, as a church, as as those who will help to raise this baby up in the nurturing and the admonitions of the Lord, to teach this baby who Jesus is, and to teach this baby the very word of God by the way we live our life and the way that we act, the way that we treat this little one. I mean, there's a blank slate you have right there. And you have the opportunity to write upon this little life exactly what it was that will be written upon this little life, on D'Angelo. And you get to do that. What will you write? God says, live the word of God and live the word of God before D'Angelo so that he can see that. He can see that word of God being lived out. Church, will you stretch out your hands as we pray for this little life and for mom and for dad and family members? Lord God, we thank you today for D'Angelo. And we lay hands on him and we pray, Lord God, impart your blessing. I thank you, Lord God, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose for this little one, that your plans and purposes are for him and not against him, that you shall do, Lord God, exceedingly and abundantly more than mom, dad, grandmas, grandpas could ever have hoped or dreamed, that this little life is a life with purpose and plan. You said in your word that D'Angelo is a masterpiece, created and crafted in the ways of God to do those things, Lord, that you have planned in advance for him to do. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage this little life and that you would do, Lord God, a wonderful, wonderful work through him. And I pray for mom and for dad. I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage their heart today, that you would fill them, Lord God, with your spirit and overwhelm them with your love. Let them know, Lord, that this little gift is a treasure from you and may they treasure this little gift each and every moment of each and every day, that they could live a life that D'Angelo would want and see you in the midst of it all. I pray for grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and those around this little guy. I pray for a church family that would rally around this little guy to help him grow up, to know Jesus know God and to know the love that God has for him. That Lord, he has a purpose and a plan and that your plans are for him and not against him. So Lord, we ask your blessing over this family. I pray in Jesus' name that they would do that which you have called them to do and that you would bless them, Lord, with wisdom and words that would be imparted unto this little heart to be kept and treasured as Mary treasured your word. Let these words, Lord, from moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas be treasured in his little heart. And we thank you for that today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you.